Wednesday, I wake up, no Wi-Fi. Sure enough, there's an outage in my area. It's 8 a.m. It's going to be fixed by 11. Ugh, okay, three hours, that's fine. I think it ended up getting fixed at 3 a.m. the next day. And so my entire Wednesday, kind of like the dead center of my break, the kind uh-huh. of one day that I had set aside of like, I'm just going to be a marshmallow this whole day, sit on the couch and do nothing and watch TV. I was stuck without internet. I don't know if you know this, Brian, but you can't fucking do anything without internet. Uh, well, Marshall, I, I'm going to surprise you. Okay. Because there is one thing you can do. You can. Go outside. Oh. I don't know if you know this, Brian, but there's a global <laughs> pandemic and a new variant. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but like it's nearly impossible to catch COVID when you're outside. Stop giving away my excuses for not leaving the house, Brian. <laughs> Welcome to episode 421 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back from a long break. Brian, how you doing? Oh, the longest break. It was so good. Although, I gotta say, I I took Monday off. Came in today, Tuesday morning. And I'm refreshed. I'm recharged. I haven't thought about work once. Well, basically almost once. For nine days. I'm like, oh, it's gonna be such a good day. But then you open all your shit and it's like, oh, I have hundreds of notifications and emails and Twitter DMs and text messages I've been ignoring and like just stuff to catch up on. Mm-hmm. So I got to the end of the day exhausted. I'm like, fuck, I need another vacation. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyways, that was my day. I, I am almost caught up, but small problems in the grand scheme of things. How about you? How was your time off? It was good. I I watched your little paparuski for a good chunk of it. I got my daily taco photo. It was great. You know, what was kind of a good slash bad thing was one of my colleagues on the Friday before break sent me some really good mocks, some really inspirational good mocks, like really good clay. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I spent (laughs) too many hours over my break Uh working on work stuff. Just kind of like guilty pleasure, like, I don't think that I would have spent this much time on it with actual work hours, but because it's my time, I can do whatever the hell I want to, even if it is work stuff. So uh, my asshole colleagues like, hey, check this out. Cool, right? Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Now I'm just going to be thinking about this. And I like went crazy on it for, for nine days, but it was fun. Have you ever heard the term nerd sniping? No. What is that? I'll I'll have a link to this in the show notes. It's an Did XKCD. he nerd snipe me? Is that what happened? You've been nerd sniped. Yeah. Okay. XKCD, I'll link to the comic, but the opening panel is there's a certain type of brain that's easily disabled. If you show it an interesting problem, it involuntarily drops everything else to work on it. Mm-hmm. And the context would be, you know, you could go up to an engineer on your team and say, hmm, wouldn't it be cool if something worked in this particular way where that thing you're describing is really hard or like a hard technical problem and that person just can't resist figuring it out that's called nerd sniping so i think you were design sniped yeah (laughs) it worked whatever it was it worked but got some good work out of it really happy with output so yeah that's cool i feel like if you're having fun and also that's one of the great reasons we get to do what we do is it's just fun um so as long as you're having fun it feels okay but boy you really have to be intentional to not work on this stuff 
during days off. Like I think this was the longest I've gone in a while without touching side projects, didn't touch GitHub, didn't touch Figma, didn't touch any work stuff, turned off all notifications. Like it's hard. There's so many opportunities to like get sucked back in to the things, right? <sighs> I'm not good at not working, especially when when I'm not working, I'm using the product I work on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you're in a very unique position where your time off is spent looking at the thing that you should be fixing. So all right, let's move on. This week we are supported by Patreon. Patreon is hiring. They're looking for product designers in San Francisco and New York City. Marshall, we've been on the Patreon train for over two years now. I don't know if you knew that. We switched over, I think, in October of 2019. So we're just past the two-year mark. I've been building the the podcast on their platform for that long. We're also patrons. We support people on Patreon. Just a great product. You can actually support art. It's a great way for creators like us, like other podcasters, artists, writers, to make money on the internet. And they're hiring. And it's just crazy how much impact you can have on this team. They're a very small team, and they're looking for someone to lead the entire creator experience space, like building tools for podcasters like us. And you could even work with us directly. Like we could have a user research session uh, or a customer feedback session and, and tell you what we're missing as podcasters using Patreon. Anyways, Patreon's culture is undergoing a huge shift right now. Their craft is the name of the game. They've shifted their bar. They're fully committed to shipping beautiful experiences. If you've looked at their latest version of their iOS app, you can see some of the first steps that they're making in this direction to really step up their game. And, you know, at the end of the day, Patreon is the heart of the creator economy. It's funny. It's like almost synonymous with the creator economy because they've been around for eight years and they're supporting more than 250,000 creators who have collectively made money from over 8 million patrons. They're on pace to pay out more than 100 million bucks a month. And they recently raised a $410 million Series F, putting them at a $4 billion, with a B valuation. It's just crazy. So this company is having huge impact, but their design team, surprisingly small. So that's a huge opportunity to have a ton of impact here as they hit their next 10x milestone, just continue to build the best tools for creators and make it easier for anyone in the world to work for themselves and make money on the internet. Uh, In fact, last year, the number of creators on the platform grew 120% and creator earnings grew 150%. So all to say, if this kind of work and this kind of impact sounds exciting, you should join Patreon. You'll be joining some of the best designers, engineers, and product leaders in the industry. They are starting to explore some of the uh, edges also of what it means to make money online. They're poking at things like Web3 and crypto. So if that tickles your brain, now would be a great time to get in on the ground floor of those kinds of products. We've got friends there, friend of the pod, Gabriel Valdivia, someone you'd be working with. And we're really excited about everything that Patreon is working on. And you could be part of that story too. So if you want to learn more about their open roles, head to designdetails.fm slash Patreon and apply for a job. If you do end up applying, be sure to tell them that we sent you. If you're not ready to apply yet, but you want to learn more about Patreon and their culture, we're going to have a couple links in the show notes for you. The first is to a video about the second coming renaissance by the CEO of Patreon, Jack Conti. It's a great video. It's going to inspire you. Definitely recommend watching that. We'll also have links to uh, Patreon's culture and their team so you can learn more. So small team, tons of room for impact. Go join them. Patreon. Thank you for supporting the show. Thanks, Patreon. This week, we are supported by Simply.io, designers and developers working together 
They give you control over all of your assets. They track every version of every design you've ever made. There's no guessing what changed, no lost files or overwritten work with development-ready specs. You can learn more at simply.io. That's S-Y-M-P-L-I dot I-O. Thank you, Simply. Thanks, Simply. And last but not least, huge shout-outs to Play for supporting the podcast. Play is the first native iOS design tool in the App Store. It's a new tool for product teams to experience their design as they create it directly on your device. We're going to have a link in the show notes. The first 25 people to click that link will get full access to the app. Once you download it from the App Store, click the invite link and you will get in and you can start playing with it today. That's it. Createwithplay.com. And then be sure to click the invite link in the show notes for the first 25 people. Thank you, Play. Thanks, Play. We also have some very important pixels. Got a good list this week. Uh, we kind of you know built it up a little bit since we didn't have an episode last week. So huge shout-outs to our new VIPs. Very important pixels. Tao Zhang, Katriana Murphy, Alan Tan, Greg Siegel, Neil, Michelle Segui, David Bielenberg, Alexander Fanden, Philippe Russell, Bill, Aislinn Kelly, and William Martinson. How'd I do? 80%? 70%? I'm going to say 70% on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. There's some rough ones in there, but... What a list. Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for supporting the podcast. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, listeners like you head to patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And get access to double episodes. This bonus supporter-only segment we like to call the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is uh, an extra episode every week. An extra listener question, an extra design topic. Just more design content for your ear holes. This week, we're answering another listener question. We're talking about the dilemma of whether you should uh, work on things that you don't actually want to get better at, even if it pays you a lot more. So if you want to hear us talk about that quandary, head to patreon.com slash design details and uh, join the fam. Come on in. The water's warm. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right, Marshall. First, just tiny bit of follow-up. Thank you all for letting us take last week off. Yeah. We had a great vacation. I feel like we've we've harped on our vacation too much, but just wanted to say to everyone, thank you. Mm. It was, it's really nice having the flexibility to just take some weeks off and uh, recharge a bit. Much needed. Uh, also have a little bit of follow-up on the course that I taught. If you remember from a few episodes now ago, um, I was gearing uh, Two up- episodes, 419, Teaching Design at Work. Okay, it's just been long and weak times and actual real time. Yeah. But, so I was going to teach... A- a course at Google on advanced tips and tricks for Figma users. And it actually went really, really well. And I wanted to share the community file that I created for that course. It doesn't have the voiceover along with it. You won't be able to hear me talk about all the things, but hopefully the file is relatively self-explanatory and you can kind of figure out what I'm trying to get at with each one of the tips and tricks. I don't expect every single one to be a revelation, but hopefully there's at least one or two in there that you didn't know about and helps make your life easier. So check it out. And at the very least, what an opportunity to look at how you uh, organize all of your stuff. Named layers, got some locked layers, well-designed, organized, annotated. Oh, are you looking at it right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm in it. I'm clicking through all the pages. Also, dare I say, rare, rare, hashtag legendary opportunity to see a photo of Marshall. Oh, God, yeah. 
that's my corp avatar. This is a yeah, corporate avatar. We never get to see this. No, this is awesome. Thanks for making this available to the public. It's really cool. Yeah, let me know if any of those things stand out as, as a good thing that you didn't know. I'd love to hear if any of them actually made your life easier. Cool. Link in the show notes. All right. Marshall, main topic. This one is a listener question. This one comes to us on GitHub as an issue from Klexo. This is their first issue they've ever opened. Put it on my perf. Thanks uh-huh. for signing up for GitHub. Klexo asks, why is design not embracing remote as much as the engineering side of tech? And continues, Hiya, this question resurfaced following the Patreon shout-out in the last episode. All their design roles, and there were loads, were limited to New York and San Francisco, whereas engineering for the same company has multiple remote openings. I've seen this across other companies like Stripe, Pinterest, etc. Why is that? Shouldn't these companies be able to offer remote roles, especially with the onset of remote payroll startups, solving the logistics of it all? Have you found working with remote design teams subpar? TLDR, why is design not embracing remote as much as the engineering side of tech? Mm. Wow. Yeah, so I actually cheated a little bit. And I asked Gabe, who is a designer at Patreon, I asked why why this is. And it was funny because I I also had thought a little bit about what I would answer uh, ahead of time. And the answers kind of lined up. And I think what it comes down to is for product-y design roles, like maybe not design systems. This is where I'll be curious to hear your point of view, Marshall. But for product problems where you're solving complex things, you might need to be creative. There's just something magical about having people in the same room, not interacting over Zoom, not having to unmute to say something, not having decision making boxed into little 30 minute chunks sort of spread out throughout the day. There's just something about having a little bit more FaceTime, unstructured time to work on hard, creative, not necessarily straightforward kinds of design problems. And I I don't think that even Patreon is requiring full in-office. I'm not going to speak for them, but I could speak to GitHub, which has always had sort of a hybrid model. Actually, GitHub's always been fully distributed. But we do have a headquarters in San Francisco and lots of co-working spaces around the world, including New York, Tokyo, London, a few other places. And the way I've taken advantage of that is just going into the office a couple days a week. Boy, oh boy, Marshall, I don't know about you, but I have relished those days in and being around human beings and having those lunch conversations with other designers where you're just shooting the shit and talking about stuff, sometimes work-related, sometimes not. Partially, it's relationship building. Partially, you can actually just spend some unstructured time pointing at stuff on the screen together and solving things together in real time without having to necessarily block that on the calendar and go through the whole Zoom screen share. Can you see my screen? Can you hear me? That whole dance. So I'm personally inclined to think that design will probably gravitate towards more of a hybrid model where maybe companies... Sure, there will always be the fully distributed and maybe some will still require all all in office. But my hunch is that more and more designers will prefer the remote flexibility and take advantage of the opportunity to be in the same place as other people if, you know, maybe a couple days a week or something like that. So anyways, I, I don't know. How, how does that sound for you and how are you thinking about 
remote now that I guess we're getting pretty close to two years into this pandemic-y lockdown, stay-at-home kind of world we've been living in. Yeah, I mean, I'm a hermit, so Uh this has worked out great for me. Uh I'm not sure I'm ready to be in the same room with other people. (laughs) Yeah, your dream job became an even more dream job with the (laughs) pandemic. I mean, it. you know. Yeah, no, uh, really, truly. Luckily, luckily, yeah. Yeah, worked out for me. Um, And, you know, I think it unlocked the ability for me to do some things that I wouldn't have been able to do in the office. I I run meetings that have, you know, 20, 30 people in them. There's like two rooms that would have that capacity in the office. The likelihood of me getting a recurring weekly slot in one of those rooms is pretty dang low. So the only way to do those types of meetings, especially because some of those people are in New York, some are in Zurich, some are here in SF. These big meetings kind of work best when they're over Zoom or they're over a meeting software. And I've heard some really interesting feedback that some of my colleagues who would have been more loath to, to speak or had a harder time getting a word in edgewise in a, in a meeting, in a room where stronger personalities can overwhelm the conversation, when the software provides the ability to raise your hand or send an emoji to react without actually you know, chiming in, that allows people who otherwise would not have their voice heard to have their voice heard, which I think is a huge thing that we will lose potentially when we get back to the office. Hmm. Do you think there's any difference between your experience working on design systems versus your experience when you were working on product? Like, do you think that would still be true if you were on product? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so distributed now. Like I work with teams, like I said, all across the world in different time zones, unrelated to each other that don't necessarily talk to each other as much as I talk to each of them. So yeah, I mean, I, this particular role, design systems, I think it benefits from having a, a, a remote status or at least the ability to have a level playing field of like, yeah, n- none of us are in person because some of us can't be in person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But here's another part of this question, though, and I think one thing that the asker is getting at is it's not just like, you know, working remotely and also living in San Francisco and being able to go into the office if you choose to, right? Or if you want to every once in a while, this is like, I want to live in Wyoming and dial into an office that's in San Francisco, right? And those jobs aren't available in the same way for designers that they are for engineers. Is that That's how I'm reading the question. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as far as the difference between design and engineering, I don't know. I imagine a lot of companies have different reasons why those might be separate. Because even engineering, you still want collaboration. Like pair programming is a thing, right? And people want that FaceTime to build relationships with their their coworkers. I suppose maybe engineering in general has had more time to mature with distributed collaboration, right? Like even thinking of version control tools like Git and GitHub on top of that, they're kind of designed for that thing, right? Distributed version controlled code review uh, that can happen from any device anywhere. So it kind of lends itself to that type of experience. And design really only feels like we've gotten to that point in the last few years, really, with Figma's branching and multiplayer and and those kinds of tools. So maybe design is still just catching up, figuring out what it means to even have a distributed collaboration process. We're still writing the rules for that stuff right now. Yeah, but I suppose, here's my question, Marshall. Do you think, like, take two startups, let's leave engineering on the side, just talk about design. One has a distributed design team, no office, all work is done over Zoom. 
And then your second startup has an office. Everybody's in San Francisco. Everybody works together three or four days a week. Do you think that it would be a competitive advantage to, I guess, have either of those models? Like, which of those models do you think produces the best design? Not even necessarily which startup will be successful. We can point to lots and lots of successful distributed companies, GitHub, GitLab, et cetera. It's more like what team will create and design the more compelling product. Do you think that will change? Yeah, gosh, I I don't know. I don't know how that would affect it. I would want to, I mean, obviously it's pros and cons for both. I mean, I think that the answer is one will have slightly more pros and one will have slightly more cons than the other, but I don't know which one that is. And I bet yeah. it also depends on the people, right? Some people are people people. Some people <laughs> need, like need to be in the same, yeah. they're social butterflies or whatever the term is. Like They need to be in the same room. They gain energy from other people's energy or the presence of other people. I am not one of those people. I, I'm fine never seeing another human being. Interacting with them through a screen is plenty for me, right? And if I was forced to go into the office five days a week, that would make me less happy, which would, I think, ultimately produce worse work. But the same situation for a different person with a different personality is going to have different things. So I I don't know. It depends on the team, but my guess is it's mostly all things considered. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's so hard. Like each of those environments would automatically bias themselves towards who's even attracted to going to work at those startups, to your point. I guess, I don't know. I feel like hybrid will be the new bar like it seems hard to imagine a company forcing their design team to go into the office five days a week it seems like that ship has sailed or at the very least like companies who are still doing that will just not be able to compete in the talent market any longer there's just too many better options for people that exist but my hypothesis is that more designers will gravitate towards the hybrid rule just Like, okay, yes, we can couch and say, like, there are some people who prefer remote and are going to excel in a remote environment. In my experience, it just feels like there's something slightly more magical. There's more spark. I don't know, all these intangible, soft things about being together and having lunch together and being able to point at a screen without having to set up a Zoom call. There's just something fluid and fun and inspiring about that that I feel like maybe speaks to more designers than engineers and might push us towards a world where like hybrid is expected and even preferred in contrast to fully remote. Like I think people might like having that option to at least be able to go into an office a day or two, which is where I'm at as well. I love remote. I love the flexibility. But I also love, I got these two days a week where I can just, yep, I'm going in. I'm going to see some people. We're going to have fun. So my hunches will go that direction. Yeah, I, and I think I agree with all that. And I, and I think what I we have yet to really quite figure out is how this hybrid structure will influence the weekly structure of meetings of how and when things occur, right? So like before it's been at least my meetings, the way my week works is like, it is a mishmash of of switching from one mode to another, back and forth, back and forth, constantly throughout the day. A one-on-one followed by a one-hour meeting with a bunch of people, followed by a smaller meeting for a given feature, followed by an all-hands, follow. you know, like it's just everything all back to back. And I think if we get to a point where it's hybrid and there's an agreed upon thing of like, okay, the value of us being in the office is that we are all in the office at the same time, 
right? So we will all agree that two or three days, there will be overlap where everybody comes in. And when we're all here, these are the types of events that are most useful for us to do in person, whether that's in all hands, where we can do group activities or something like that to better our relationships with each other, or one-on-ones where you can have a personal conversation with your manager about your career, stuff like that. It's much better in person rather than over a video call. So but that's going to really influence the scheduling of how our weeks are structured. So mm-hmm. I think it might be even better where we can do less flow breaking where it's like, okay, I have longer chunks of like these days are for doing stuff because I have other days that are for talking to people. And I, and I have this yeah. day where it's just like yeah. big, long meetings all day long. We do big, long meetings with a bunch of people, but then that's what this day is. And, and I can stay in that mode all day. Does this make sense? A hundred percent. And this is actually something that I think we're still figuring out, or at least I'm still figuring out, which is, okay, great. We have the remote set up, but then people just show up sporadically and then you show up and still have all of your zoom calls. So then you just go to like a one-on-one phone booth room and you're just locked away. You just happen to be in the same physical, like that's not hybrid work. That's just trying to recreate the remote environment, but you're in the same building. So maybe, I don't know if there's a name for what you're describing. I I guess as you were talking, I was like intentional hybrid where it's like, how do we build a hybrid system where we get the best of both worlds, where we're using our in-person time to the most advantage and we're using our distributed time at home to the most advantage where, you know, that in-person time to your point is this about talking, relationship building, collaborating, brainstorming. And then we all split off for a couple of days and we go home and get into flow and, and do our work at home without as many distractions. But I think to your point, that will take a lot of intentionality. And I think this is something we're still figuring out. We're like right now we have a, a Slack channel for people who live in SF and we all just kind of randomly agree like, hey, I think this week, Thursday and Friday I'll be in. And maybe a couple other people will be like, yeah, I'll do Thursday, Wednesday. But if you could actually get everyone to agree on times, days, and then processes, like what's going to happen when we show up, how are we going to make the most of this time? That feels like the sweet spot. And that sounds like a logistical nightmare that I hope I'm not too involved in <laughs> solving. <laughs> Uh, I'm down to at least, I think the easiest way to start is just to agree on the days, right? Start there. One day a week, Thursday, sure, we're all going to show up. And even if we all have our our meetings, then you start to coordinate around Thursday, these couple hours, we're going to do lunch and hang out and talk about the stuff we're working on and show each other mocks and all that. Then you just build from there. It's like a, a, there's a way to progress that up naturally rather than having to like try and figure it out all up front ahead of time. You know, to to your point about like you mentioned time zone overlap, I feel like this is the one thing that is going to trip people up because when you say remote, I think people automatically just assume work from anywhere. And in my experience, time zones really, really matter. You know, one of the unique challenges for, for my team is we're pretty well split between people working in the U.S. and people working in the EU. And so that means for the handful of us on the West Coast, we get like an hour or two of overlapping FaceTime with our colleagues in Germany, for example. And that hour or two of overlap is always at 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning. And it just makes it really hard to like build relationships, right? Like the two hours we have, we got to make use of that time. We got to have our meetings. We got to have our our planning and, and weekly syncs and all that kind of stuff. And there's not much time for everything uh-huh. else. So, oh, and it's the worst time too because it's like the end of their day and the beginning of yours. Yeah, you're you're warming up. They're ready to get out. Yeah, they're they're looking at the clock and you're drinking your coffee. Not the best time <laughs> to be making good decisions. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
So all that to say, I feel like the better solution here from a corporate design, organizational design perspective is just time zone alignment per team, or at least uh, maybe per team is the smallest way to start, probably like per organization. Like this kind of function should probably be within, you know, plus or minus two hours of each other so that we actually have ways to unblock each other during our day and we can all kind of warm up and cool down at the same time. Uh, and, you know, maybe the West Coast people have quiet afternoons and the East Coast people have quiet mornings, that kind of thing. But being on totally opposite sides of the world, obviously there are companies who have figured this out, but like on a team unit level it is really painful. It's very hard. So I, I'm more in favor of how do we design teams that are in the same time zone in a way that like kind of captures the best parts of remote work, right? Like you can be in the same time zone and work in a really low cost of living area. You don't have to relocate to San Francisco and deal with all of the trade-offs there, but you still got to be in this general area to take advantage of FaceTime and, and being able to, to work with people. So that's, I think, in my head, the best version. And you know, also the last thing to say here, at least for me, is I feel like more and more companies will downsize their office, or at least they're going to start saving a lot of money on office and real estate expenses. Just please convert that money into whatever travel vouchers for people to fly and meet up and have mini get togethers or mini summits or whatever it is. Like you can still translate that experience into something really fun and it won't, and it won't be an extra cost, right? Like you can save on your office and then bring people together in cool locations that are convenient for everybody to get to and don't force everyone to live in the same area. So I feel like financially even there's, there's some advantage here. All right. Well, thanks for asking the question, Clexo. I think we maybe didn't linger quite as long on why engineering and design are totally different, but hopefully there was a couple of points in here we're thinking about. All right. Uh, should we move on to cool things? Yeah, let's do some quick cool things. Brian, I'll go first. How about that? Okay. For context, Marshall wrote secret in our show notes outline. So I'm very excited to find out what's going to happen here. Uh-huh. Okay. I had an idea about how to set this up. All right. So, okay. Brian. You've just found a new apartment or bought a new home. The process of moving from your old place to your new place mostly sucks. But what's the one good part about moving? (sighs) The one good part about moving? Well, I hate moving, but I suppose it's a good opportunity to get rid of stuff or like kind of start fresh, like revisit your assumptions about how you want things laid out or organized or what things you like. Yeah, so like like unpacking? Uh, sure, unpacking. Yeah. Uh, I hate unpacking, but of all of the steps in the moving process, I suppose that's the best one, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a game called Unpacking, <laughs> Brian. Oh my god. <laughs> that took longer to get there than I than I was hoping for, but um it is I think it's described as a zen puzzle game, but okay. uh, it is what it sounds like and it's deeper than I thought it was going to be. So I, I saw uh, someone playing it on a YouTube video. I was like, ah, say no more. I'm going to go buy this thing. Went and bought it, played the first level, and it's and it's kind of what you expect. There's cardboard boxes. You open them up. It's a child's room, right? And as you click on the box, you get an item, and you have to put it in the room. And in order to like clear the level, like beat the level, uh, everything has to be in kind of like an acceptable place for that thing, right? But you can kind of set it up however you want to and, and arrange things however you want to. It's fun little Tetris Zen puzzle thing. But you beat that first level, and then instead of a little girl's bedroom, it's a dorm room. And you're doing you're taking stuff out of boxes and putting it up, and you realize, like, oh, this is some of the same stuff from the kids' room, 
oh, uh, okay, I'm a girl. I'm a girl, and that was my room, and now I'm going to college, and this is my dorm room. Okay, and it starts to tell the story after you beat that level. You you know, oh, have your first apartment, uh-huh. and st- you know, and it starts to tell this thing of like the things that come along with you. You know, like that mug that you had when you were a kid. Oh, that's my mug, but it's kind of worn and torn. But like, oh, I'm using it for my toothbrush now. Like, the, I, I still keep it around. You know, it's not for the kitchen. It's in the bathroom box, you know. And so this kind of stories, these stories start to emerge just through the playing of this game and the items that the person brings along. It's really good. I'm only like four or five levels into it, but I'm loving it very much. I would recommend it for anybody who's down for like a just a chill surprisingly deep experience with unpacking stuff nice okay cool and the artwork looks really cool it's kind of like oh. a pixel yeah, I didn't on the website, unpackinggame.com yeah it's all p- beautiful pixel art you can rotate all the objects wonderful little animations and everything it, great sound in the background both like soundtrack and like kind of sound effects i was it kind of freaked me out in the in the apartment level you can hear people walking around above you and i thought it was virginia walking around <laughs> What is she doing up there? But then I realized it was uh-huh. the game. Anyways, great game. Unpacking. Check it out. Nice. Okay. This is lovely. It's very pretty. Uh, unpackinggame.com. Links in the show notes. Cool thing, Marshall. Unexpected. Well, it was a game. So kind of expected. Uh-huh. But definitely was not expecting a game about unpacking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to get you to say that unpacking was the best part about moving, but I kind of fell apart. So No, I, I think I got there. I was okay. talking about like clearing out old shit. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, anyways. Yeah. All right. Marshall, my cool thing this week, I feel like, is kind of your cool thing as well. So I'm kind of stealing, but uh, 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 okay. boy, how do we kick this one off? Um, have you heard of a game called League of Legends? Y- yeah, I'm familiar with LOL, yeah. Okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that matters is that the people who make that game called League of Legends have produced a show on Netflix called Arcane. And you don't have to know a darn thing about League of Legends. You don't have to care about it. I'm sure it adds a lot to the experience. But anyways, it is artwork in motion. It is beautiful. It is not quite like anything I've ever seen. The art style is unbelievable. I would I would say the closest thing it is is like uh, Into the Spider-Verse with like 3D but 2D yes. drawn over it. Okay, so here I'm glad you brought that up because I remember when I saw Into the Spider-Verse, I saw it in theaters, I walked out of the theater and I said to the person I was with, I said, I can't believe human beings made that. It is so creative. It is so artistic. It is so fun and interesting. Anyways, you and I watched the first episode of Arcane together, and I had the same reaction. I was like, I can't believe human beings made this. It is really, really compelling. Anyways, okay, so my cool thing will be Arcane. It is a cool show for the story. Uh, It's a great story. I'm not done with the season yet. I'm on episode eight, so getting close. I think it's nine episodes uh, in this season. And it's been fun. I don't know anything about League of Legends. Don't care anything about League of Legends. I don't think it matters. The show has been captivating and interesting, uh, good character development. Every episode adds some like new visual elements, new styles, new sort of ways they handle like cutscenes or flashbacks or something like that. Anyways, that'll be my cool thing. I think more people should watch this show, even if you are someone like me who might see the title and see the animated whatever placeholder title card and see the words League of Legends and be like, uh, that doesn't seem like it's for me. I don't know anything about that. Just put that aside. Watch the first episode and see if it hooks you and it will probably hook more of you than than you would expect. 
did you finish the season? Did you watch all that? No, I haven't made my way through it. But one thing I do want to say that is like my favorite little tidbit about this show is it's done by the in-house studio at Riot Games that does their in-game cutscenes. So like all all of the animated cutscenes in the game, same team making the actual TV show. They've never made a TV show, but they're equipped for it because they've been making these little mini movies for years, right? It's inspiring. I mean, look, they made what? The World of Warcraft movie and they've like tried to convert games. Now, here's the into- thing though. They made that Warcraft movie, but they farmed the shit out and it wasn't made. They could have made like Blizzard has their own in-house cinematic team that they make all their cutscenes with. If they had used that team, it probably would have done a lot better, but they farmed it out to, you know, it, it was in development hell for like 10 years or something. But yeah, it yeah. usually ends up in a disaster, usually because they let go of, they let somebody else who doesn't love and know the property as well as the creators handle it. Yeah, you can tell that the people who made this just love it. Love I mean, it. there's yeah. so much care and detail. Uh, um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Cool thing, Check Brian. It out. Yeah. Watch it. I'm very excited to finish the next couple of episodes. It seems to have been really successful. Good for them. I'm I'm happy that it's done well. I would have expected this to one without having seen anything. I would have expected it to be terrible. Not only is it not terrible, it is very good. So that alone is a big win. But people actually are recognizing <laughs> it and watching it. It's got really good viewership numbers. So good for them. All right, let's get out of here. This has been episode 421 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter as always at Design Details FM. We're supported this week by Patreon. If you didn't know, they are hiring. They're looking for lead designers in San Francisco and New York City to lead the design for all of the creator tools that serve more than 250,000 creators around the world. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Patreon. So thank you, Patreon, for supporting the show. If you have a listener question for us or a topic you want to uh, have us explore in future episodes, be sure to open an issue on our GitHub. Links in the show notes. Thank you, Klexo, for today's question. That's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. I think about YouTube constantly, one way or another. I think I think about YouTube. Did you did you did that one hit? Did that little it, yeah uh, turn of phrase catch? Did that hit? Yeah, it didn't I, work. If I kind of fade no. off on the oob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always the chance I mistake it for a Bono reference. You know, <laughs> you too. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. It's always hard. Love you too, Brian. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs>